0: RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network.
1: Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek Podcast. Episode 315. Second Skin.
0: roddenberry star trek podcast i'm legate champion
2: and i'm inquisitor ray each week on mission log we pull an elaborate ruse fooling people into thinking that oh no no no
0: no 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 no. inquisitor that's mission log live
2: oh right right
0: yeah each week on mission log we watch an episode of star trek examining it for ideas and ideals and seeing whether the episode stands the test of time right I've got trivia coming up in a moment, but first... But first,
2: I'm going to let you know how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including Discovered Documents, is at MissionLogPodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. I know we have a running gag that says, you know, so every time we mention a show, we're going to do a podcast about that show in about 150 years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Started with Moonlighting. Guiding Light is definitely in there someplace. Uh,
0: Buck Rogers. Some uh,
2: people want to do Buck Rogers. Some people want to do Super Train, which is fine because that could be like a two week show. Cold That's check, okay. Cold Check the Night
0: cold Stalker. Check the Night
2: Stalker. Yeah. That was one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could do worse than doing a Barney Miller podcast. Sure. That was, that was an amazing show. And there is, yes, a reason that I'm <laughs> mentioning that right now. If you want to know what that reason is, well, you'll want to stay tuned for John Champion's Trivia.
0: Wow, that was... I Just hats off to you, Ken, for the, the segue of the century. Ken yes, bravo, bravo, <clears throat> Ken. Okay. That's
2: a joke for the people who weren't listening before. Mm-hmm.
0: Today's episode, Second Skin, was written by Robert Hewitt-Wolf, and this one is entirely his baby, story, concept, and script. He says he was inspired by stories written by Philip K. Dick, no surprise there, And this one would originally have featured Chief O'Brien, but in a way that would have rewritten Star Trek Next Generation history as well. Hold that thought. We're going to talk a little bit more about that later. I want to save some trivia for after the recap. But uh, in this episode, they decided to go a different direction instead. This was directed by Les Landau. Now, Les, as we know, has directed more Star Trek than just about anybody. It goes back to season one of Next Gen, and he contributes to every series up through Enterprise. For us, the most recent episode of his that we discussed was The House of Quark. Now, one story that Nana Visitor has told a few times before in interviews and at conventions is just how grueling the makeup job was for her on this episode. Some people on Star Trek work in prosthetics all the time for years and years, looking at you, Michael Dorn, Nana is not a fan of working like that. In fact, it was quite a chore doing this episode because she has claustrophobia. Sometimes the makeup call was 1.30 in the morning and necessitated 16-plus-hour days— She was waiting to do pickup shots one night and eventually told Les Landau she couldn't take it anymore and just started pulling the makeup from her face. Ken, I don't know if you've ever been in a full face prosthetic makeup application before. Uh, They're applied with spirit glue and all kinds of stuff. That's not really the kind of thing you want to just rip from your face. So that would indicate that this must have been a very difficult thing for her to do. Sounds like. Yeah. Now let's talk about guest stars. We have a few smaller roles to mention up front. Uh, On Bajor, the archivist Elenis Grimm is played by Freda Thomas, and she has a few TV acting credits in the 90s. And most of her other work is in live theater, both as an actor and the Jeff Award winning writer in Chicago. The supposed cellmate of Kira's, Yeln is played by Tony Papenfuss, and he may not have the largest on-screen acting resume, but there are some notable roles in there. Primarily, he was Daryl Number 1 on Newhart. You know what I'm referring to there, Ken, I'm sure you do. And we have a Cardassian ship captain named Benil, played by Christopher Carroll. He's got a huge resume of on-screen credits, everything from Mad Men to BJ and the Bear. He has truly done it all, and he will be back for another Trek appearance on Voyager. And he also provides a voice in the Starfleet Academy game. Now, Entek is the Cardassian mastermind of the plan featured in this story. He is played by Gregory Sierra. He might not be a household name, but Gregory has definitely been around as an actor, and you have definitely seen him before. Too many credits to list, but I remember him as Julio on Sanford and Son. Plus, he turns up in movies like The Towering Inferno and Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Many other recurring TV roles dot his career, including Miami Vice, Soap, Hill Street Blues, and of course, Barney Miller. Finally, Legate Gemour is played by Lawrence Pressman. Lawrence has been working as an actor steadily since the 1970s, though his very first professional credit goes back to 1956. He appeared in the movie Shaft, as well as 9 to 5 and American Pie. Guest star and recurring TV roles are plenty. And he even was a series regular on Doogie Hauser M.D., as one of Doogie's colleagues, Dr. Canfield. He does indeed turn up on both Moonlighting and the love boat.
1: Do you ever wish that you could be someone else? Just for a little while. When making that wish, be very, very specific.
2: Prologue. Kira and Dax are supposed to go anti-grav sailing in a hollow suite, though that plan's put on hold when Kira gets a strange call. The Bajoran Central Archives wants to ask her about her time at the Elmspur Detention Center run by the Cardassians during the occupation. Kira says there must be some mistake. She was never in the Elmspur Detention Center, but Cardassian records are clear. There's even a picture of her. It looks to everyone else as if she was there. And I'm sure there's nothing creepy about that creepy person watching Kira from the balcony. Act 1. Kira's sure that the Cardassian records are fake. She was holed up with her resistance cell for the entire winter, covering the seven days they say she was held. She calls the only surviving prisoner held supposedly with her, and... He recognizes her. From Elmspur Right. Records say one thing, memories say another. Kira needs to go to Bajor to check it out. Sisko sees her off, and... I'm sure there's nothing creepy about that creepy person following Kira down the gangplank and off Deep Space Nine. You know, there might actually be something creepy about that creepy person. DS9 gets a call from Bajor Central Archives. Kira never made it to her meeting there. Also, Dr. Bashir and plain, simple Garrick are hanging out. Garrick's talking about how much he'd like to travel, though space, he says, is dangerous. I'm sure it's nothing. In a darkened room, the creepy person who'd been following Kira is ordered by a shadowy figure. Wake her. The her to be woken. A Cardassian. Who bears a striking resemblance to Kira. What have you done to me, she asks. We've brought you back home. To Cardassia. Act 2. Kira is not having any of it. Do your worst. Cut me up. Tell me your lies. You'll get no information from me. Okay, but we don't want information. The shadowy figure is apparently some sort of military guy. Entek is his name. He says Kira is a Cardassian operative. Her memory has been erased. Best way to make sure infiltration officers aren't captured. Don't worry, though. We've given you drugs to bring your Cardassian memories, your true memories, back to you. In time, you'll remember that you are an undercover operative of the Obsidian Order named Ileana Gamor that you volunteered to go undercover on Bajor, that we kidnapped a Bajoran resistance fighter, made you look like her, gave her your memories, and sent you in. After I trained you. Yeah, we go way back. Being here, in the home where you were born, should help, as should this recording of you before you left making a statement for when you return. Back on Deep Space Nine, one person from Bajor thinks they saw Kira on Bajor in the last day or so but there's no record of her being there. There is a residual electrostatic charge that could mean that she was beamed off the planet, or that she was vaporized. They'll assume beam-out and keep looking. Back on Cardassia, Kira's not watching the recording she supposedly made of herself. Very pointedly not watching it. A chime at the door, and there's the guy who says he trained her, followed by to Kenny Gamorre. They say he's her father. She says her father died on Bajor, though the legate says that's not true. Anyway, she should rest. But please, make yourself at home. Act 3. Plain, simple Garrick drops by the infirmary as Bashir is closing up. Due to the late hour, Bashir tries to put the Cardassian off, though Garrick says he has important news about Major Kira. Speaking of whom, she's busy in her room on Cardassia... ...trying to figure out where the inevitable Obsidian Order listening device is. Legate Gamor catches her... ...and tells her where it is. It's not on, don't worry. As a member of the Central Command, he can have them turned off. Which he has. He's brought her breakfast. The Bajoran dish has actually. Though she refuses. He's still trying the whole, you're my daughter thing... Which Kira's still not buying. He says he wanted her to be an artist, not a spy. Cardassia could use a few more artists in his estimation. Well, he's really laying it on how she's as stubborn as her mother, how he could have pulled some strings to stop her from going to Bajor, without her knowing, of course. Kira tells him he's good, but she's not buying. Back on Deep Space Nine, Garrick's delivered his Kira news to Sisko and Odo that she's being held by the Obsidian Order. They want to rescue her. Garrick says that's ludicrous. So Sisko blackmails Garrick into getting them onto Cardassia so they can get her out. They've got fake papers from Starfleet Intelligence, and O'Brien's tricked out the Defiant to look like a not Starfleet ship on sensors, where nacelles lit in three hours on Cardassia, the guy who says he trained Ileana, is bothered that the drugs to restore her memory haven't worked yet. They really do need information she has. He'll have to go ahead and start questioning her and, uh, eh, hope for the best. Luggett Gamora says he'll be in the next room if she needs him. Of course, Kira's still convinced that she is Kira. He'll get no answers from her. So he shows her what appears to be the body of Kira Nurice the Bajoran's identity that they stole and gave to Eliana. Act 4. Well, that is jarring. Also, the Inquisitor is telling her stuff about herself that nobody else would know. How could he know those things? Because he put those memories into her head. It was part of her deep cover. Ask yourself this. Why would I go to all this trouble if it wasn't true? Anyway, we're running out of time. By which I mean you, Ileana, are running out of time. The Order won't wait for its answers much longer. Later that night, Kira figures out a way to escape, though she is stopped by the Legate. He actually seems kind of proud of her. But seriously, if you try to run... Well, there's only so much I can do to protect you. I'll do everything I can, but please, before you make your decision, watch the recording n gave you. It's the only way you'll know the truth. Relenting, she does watch the recording, and... Yeah, that's Ilyana, welcoming herself home. She'll miss Cardassia, she says, before she left. But the terrorism on Bajor has to be stopped. That is also jarring. On the Defiant, hey, Cardassians, the countermeasures installed by O'Brien seem to be working. Then they're not. Then plain, simple Garrick comes through barking Obsidian Order orders, ordering the intervening Cardassians to turn it around and never speak to anyone of what they've seen here. It works. Plain, simple Garrick has ordered Cardassian military to go away. You know, this plain, simple business is starting to seem questionable. Back on Cardassia, Entek's interrogation is starting to wear on Kira, though Legate Gamor has had enough. This is his house, he sends Entek away, though menacingly, Entek says the next time he and Iliana talk, it'll be at the Order's facilities. Apparently worried about her, the Legate asks if she's alright. She's not. Kira's breaking. So the Legate has decided to help her escape. Crying, she asks, why? You're my daughter, Iliana. There's nothing I wouldn't do for you. Even if it means losing you again. Act 5. The promise of help is put a spring in Kira's step. The legate gives her a piece of jewelry. It had belonged to her... uh, Ileana's mother. Kira tries to refuse, though the legate says he wants her to have it. To remember them by. Now here's a young idealist who'll help you get away. You see, the legate is a dissident. He thinks Cardassia has gone the wrong way. Has fallen too far under the Obsidian Order's thrall. And now it all makes sense to Kira. She is Kira. Entek has done all this not to get information from her, but to trick Leggett Gamor to show his true colors, his secret life as a dissident. And it worked. And Entek knows it. He captures Leggett Gamor with not just a little glee. In one swift stroke, a traitor will be revealed and the dissident movement will be destroyed. Legat Gamora is about to get a head full of Cardassian interrogation when Garrick, Sisko, and Odo come in, giving phasers to the good guys, taking phasers from the bad guys, and offering Legat Gamora a lift off Cardassia. Entek is not happy. Why is Garrick helping these people? Legat Gamora is a traitor. Treason, says Garrick, is in the eye of the beholder. As Garrick and the others turn to go, Entek draws a hidden phaser. And Garrick vaporizes Entek. Back on Deep Space Nine, Kira and Legat Gamor go for a stroll. Yeah, she is Bajoran, just surgically altered to appear Cardassian. The guy who said he knew her from Elmspur? No one can find him. Probably a Cardassian agent. The part about Iliana, though, being sent undercover on Bajor? That part was true. Who knows? She may still be on Bajor, spying for the Order. Gamor says he has to believe that Ileana is still alive, and that he will see her again someday. But he wants Kira to keep the jewelry he gave her earlier. Until he finds Eliana. Kira is the closest thing to family he has. Kira says that he is an honorable man, and that his daughter must have loved him very, very much. Also, a bit of fatherly advice from Leggett Gamor. Seriously, don't trust Garrick ever the end
0: hey ken you know how some weeks you get those uh really long plot heavy detail heavy recaps that you have to do yes yeah yeah.
2: <laughs> well, it, <laughs> yeah what's weird is actually the first part of it i mean it i i thought it was gonna well, whatever Th- yeah it, it happened that's great uh, thankfully yeah. there were only like two or three names that you had to worry about
0: That's true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I didn't have to worry about no
2: Klingon names, which is fantastic because no, that's good. Those apostrophes, they'll get you.
0: So uh, I wanted to save that bit of uh, O'Brien trivia for now after the story recap. Mm -hmm. Um, So had this story been about O'Brien, it would have meant that he was actually a Cardassian since the time we met him on Next Gen and that he was actually a Cardassian. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. So that was the original uh, uh, story pitch. Is it uh, uh, O'Brien had been a Cardassian agent for like 20 years, had replaced the original O'Brien. So literally from the time that we met him on TNG, he was this this construct uh, fed with the the memories of o'brien and then you let this story play out but then it's like well but but he's he's o'brien because he's got o'brien's memories so he he's our o'brien he's not the cardassian anymore yeah. but you would have rewritten tng history and and as it was brought up uh what about molly
2: yeah well yeah there is that huh so
0: yeah so yeah. you do have that problem um and then the other idea that was kicked around is that uh, Robert Hewitt Wolfe had originally wanted to leave ambiguity at the end about Kira's biology. Was she or wasn't she actually Cardassian or actually Bajoran? And they dropped this idea from the script. Uh, but, but his whole thrust with it was, can we talk about identity versus the The uh, uh, biological, the DNA structure of the character and just talk about who the character is.
2: That would have been interesting. I'll tell you, honestly, Mm -hmm. I was because, as I've said to many people, I've watched some Deep Space Nine. I haven't watched every episode yet. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was intrigued by the possibility that we might find that out. And that yeah. she, you know, because I know she stays the whole time. And of course, I saw what we left behind. So I know she even figures into the pretend season eight that they talk about in that. What so obviously she would have stuck around either way. Um, it was an interesting idea. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sorry they didn't do it. I, I think I would have hated the ambiguity. It would have been fine with me, though, if they would established that, yes, she wasn't that Cardassian because then that gives her so much other stuff to play with. But apparently, she'll be playing with the religion pretty soon. So whatever. <laughs> um, you know what I was thinking as I was watching this. What's that? Uh, Starfleet needs like some sort of like secret section that does hmm. stuff like you know infiltration and exfiltration and things like that.
0: Huh. Okay. So uh, let, let me go with this. Yeah. Yeah. What do, what do you see?
2: Well, I mean, let, let's just talk about how like how this is not working for them without. Such a secret, like section, say okay, uh, Garrett goes to Bashir right mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and and delivers to him a secret. Mm-hmm. Bashir hands him off to Cisco and Odo, right, mm-hmm. they rope O'Brien in to mod the ship, and they bring yeah. Dax along because it 's Dax,
0: everybody loves Dax, yeah,
2: basically, the only person who 's not in on this right now is uh is quark, right, <laughs> everybody knows about their secret mission, and quark probably knows because he 's got. Well he's got those ears, doesn't he? Uh, yeah, everybody knows yeah. about their secret mission. everybody's getting wise to Garrick's connections because everybody now knows about him right yeah. uh, I'm thinking if they had some sort of black ops, some sort of you know secret section that uh, huh. that might huh. that might be
0: yeah I <laughs> just <laughs> I think you should pitch this. You think and I should? Really? I think, yeah, I think you. I think you could. That might be the the kind of thing that uh, that they could introduce in in a future Star
2: Trek. I was yeah. really hoping you were going to say that's a terrible idea. You should burn it and never speak. No, of it. no, no. I,
0: no? Think, I think you've nailed the reason why. I think uh, I think you've just justified to yourself.
2: <sighs> oh why no, they need this no. See, so. oh, that's a whole other, <laughs> That's a whole other thing for a whole other <laughs> thing. We could actually. We could. We should do that sometime for Mission Log Live. That's a show, Mm. by the way, that people could listen to if they want to.
0: I like that. Yeah, Tuesday nights, seven. Hey, uh, here's a question. If They've got holo filters on ship communications. Why aren't they literally using those all the time? Mm -hmm. All the time. Like, I'm Captain Cisco. Now I'm Aquaman. Now I'm this guy. I mean, that's awesome. You, You can fool a distant ship. Into thinking what kind of ship you're in and who you actually are when they get within communications range.
2: Uh, it strikes me as a really terrible idea.
0: Okay. By the way, that was uh, stock footage from Duet uh, that they used of that captain. Um,
2: oh, yeah. really? Of, of, yep, of that captain. Okay,
0: I didn't. Yeah, not... that was just a little stock bit they they slipped in and had Avery Brooks uh, dub the voice. It, it, it was interesting, though. Uh, speaking of holograms, so Kira is looking at that body on the slab there that that could be a hologram or a clone mm-hmm. we don't actually get an explanation for that one but those are both plausible for her and the world that she lives in that's fine
2: hey here's a crazy idea that could be eliana
0: oh Maybe yeah i mean it could like be
2: Joran, yeah because you know we don't know where she is she's out there someplace
0: that would have changed the end of that uh, episode then when uh, Gamora says, oh, I have to think that she's out there still. And she could say, didn't you see the body on the slab?
2: Nobody was- told him.
0: Yeah, well, but I mean, she, she just saw it. She was like, oh, well, but see, there was this thing.
2: Well, no, I'm not, I'm not saying they would know. I'm saying maybe that's something that we know. Maybe that's something yeah. that Entek knows. It's like, yeah, oh, well, we do have the dead operative who looks a lot like her. Right. I'm, yeah. just, I'm not yeah. saying I'm just. I'm just saying
0: Now, we also we don't get an explanation uh, for how Ntech would know about the Harakat incident unless uh, are we to believe that that truly was an implanted memory somehow manufactured when she was unconscious, you know, so they they could have created that. Um, Otherwise, it definitely doesn't add up if she's saying, yeah, that that. It, it, that happened to me and i never told anybody about this right. but i wonder if they would have gone that far to actually create that memory but kind of a kind of a neat little uh detail there um another detail uh we, we just found garrick uh wandering around <laughs> looking at at the defiance weapons systems um which is kind of hilarious to me anyway i could just i can picture it but i was wondering did they tell him like was he confined to quarters anyway like was he not allowed to go certain places when they got him on the ship
2: i can see why you wouldn't want him poking around the weapons but right mm-hmm. i mean what's off limits I, no. I don't. I, I can't get a clear idea in my head of how big the defiant is. But I mean, yeah. we know there are at least a couple of decks. We know there are a couple of places that he might have gone. So I mean, he could easily just pull the whole plausible. Oh, are these the weapons I was <laughs> looking for? The downstairs bathroom, or something,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, oh man, and, and I just love his line about his security code. It was just something I overheard while I was hemming someone's trousers he's his delivery the the forcefulness of the delivery of dressing down that uh, that Cardassian gull, the captain of that other ship was. Great. And then the, the total 180 degree switch at the end, uh, when Cisco asks him about it, just fantastic. One of the many reasons that I love Andrew Robinson. Um, now, when they actually get to uh, the Legate's home, uh, I, I just want to picture this. Uh, Cisco says, OK, Odo, here's our plan. Uh, I'm going to throw you on the floor. And then you do Odo things and uh, that that that's what will overpower the Cardassians in the room.
2: Yeah, I'm thinking Obsidian Order is kind of crap, though. Because the second, yeah. like if you're a military guy and, and mm-hmm. somebody walks in and throws something on the floor, don't you go over and poke it? Do you maybe just shoot it? I mean, aren't they going right. to jump back or something like that? Just like, right. Also, good arm on Cisco, though. He's got the, what they in, in bowling, I think, call Brooklyn. Right. Because somehow yeah. he tossed that bag. And landed it behind the guy in front of him without going over him. Right. Yeah. He yeah. put a little English on it, I guess. Yeah,
0: that was really good. I mean, here's the thing. Odo could have turned into a mouse. We've seen yeah. him do that before. He, he could have turned into like a like a mayfly.
2: That's a great or, idea, though. The idea yeah. that, you know, so so Cisco comes in, you know, guns at the ready with a ferret. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And the ferret jumps down and starts doing stuff. It's like Beastmaster, but for the future. Yeah. Oh, nice.
0: Nicely done. Beastmaster, starring Mark Singer and John Amos. Um, hey, so some uh, some rogue Starfleet personnel can just beam into a home of someone in the central command, uh, kill someone, uh, and then go away. And the whole Cardassian Empire doesn't show up at, at DS9, like, within an hour.
2: Right. Okay. Well, well, I mean, well, not a DS9. No, they couldn't, because then they'd have to admit to everything that they did. It actually kind of makes sense that they wouldn't turn up there. What actually worries me is, um, well, we don't know how they got down to the surface, because they didn't just beam into that room. They came, you know, charging into that room. Mm-hmm. But there was supposedly a transporter suppressor, like, all around that area. Yeah. Is that, like, just a one-way thing? Because I'm thinking they're lucky they just didn't end up scattered all over Cardassia town or yeah you know, whatever the city is called <laughs> i assume it's coming cardassia something cardassia town cardassia prime Car- well yeah cardassia so, so city on,
0: yeah you're on cardassia prime on the which is the cardassian homeworld, which is full of
2: cardassians so. yes yes it's a thrilling thing to see
0: Yes. Um, uh, uh, Legate Gamor is uh, tougher in his warning about Garrick than he is literally about anything else in this episode. Mm-hmm. He really lays down the law there. It, it was um, uh, that was interesting. I know that, that part of the, the myth building of DS9 is you keep playing with who Garrick is and where his loyalties are. But that it, it kind of took me by surprise. Uh, just that he was so forceful about that one particular thing because it was this really tender scene. And then he just turns on a dime like, do not trust that guy. OK, bye. Right.
2: No pretend <laughs> no. daughter of mine is going to have anything to do with him.
0: Right? <laughs> exactly. And when they were having that that nice goodbye, I, I just kept thinking just once. I want to see someone try to hug a Cardassian because they have all of that, you know, pointy armor chest plate thing. All of them do yeah. it just makes them boy. Yeah. It really gets into your intimate space.
2: It does. And then, and then, you know, she looks up at him and says, where did the neck ridges go?
1: Last week. Dax was someone she did not know she was. This week, Kira is not someone everyone says she is. And Garrick, Garrick is.
2: Who exactly is Garrick? So how do you feel about Dax? Seven or eight hosts, maybe. Who knows, really? Um, How do you feel about Dax being all about the holosuite? After, After eight lifetimes... You might think that she would have no use for the artificial, or maybe after eight lifetimes, uh, she figures the experience is the experience, whether it happens in the sky or in a simulated sky. Boom.
0: Boom. That is exactly it. So first of all, I I love the idea of a a seven or 800-year-old being uh, embracing technology. Hmm. Um you know because i don 't want to be that person uh, not not that i 'll make it seven or eight hundred years, but you know a hundred years from now um, <laughs> when i 'm when i 'm faced with a new piece of technology and just like uh, you, you, your kids with your, you know, artificial this and your fake that and your manufacture that. Well, in my day, we had an iPhone that you held in your hand, right. you know, you didn't right. uh, swallow it, as as you like to say. Um, so I, I like the idea that, uh, first of all, she would she slash he all of them, all of the trillness would be into uh, the technology aspect of it and getting to go in there and do something, have an experience and even alter the experience. As she says to uh, Kira, well, look, we don't have to crash. Mm-hmm. We can change the settings. So you're starting out with something that is a little easier. Um,
2: it is an interesting thing to really quickly with, with what happens with Kira, where she's like, I think if anything is worth doing, it's worth doing in reality. But I'm afraid to do this thing, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> right. it's almost like a. It's almost like um, I, I can't tell what's going on with Kira exactly. I was more just focused on you know the fact that Judea is like you know yeah this fake thing is is just uh, just as awesome as the real thing because you're still doing the thing.
0: I mean, the only thing that would make and, and again we're we're extrapolating we're imagining the idea that a hollow suite or a holodeck can reproduce every single detail exactly. So that that uh, whether you know it's you standing at the Eiffel Tower, everything around you, the smell in the air, the uh, the the crepe stand uh, that is down the block, and you could go by and eat one of those crepes, and it doesn't uh, disappear out of your stomach after you walk out of the holodeck. These things are are there for you to experience. The only thing that would be different is, is maybe just sort of the accidental uh, level of discovery that comes when when you. Uh, Um, have an unpredictable element in there but even then a good enough simulation a good enough computer program might be able to introduce that unpredictable thing
2: i wonder though if there is a difference i mean are we talking like would ducks feel the same way about a physical experience as opposed to something like going to the eiffel tower because i mean you mentioned the eiffel tower and i'm glad that i've been up in the eiffel tower and Mm -hmm. you know same Virtual reality, augmented reality, different things may come along that provide me, you know, the level of detail of that, but you don't get the actual, yeah, but I was actually there. Like, I'm glad that I got to walk around Notre Dame before Notre Dame uh, burned in the early part of uh, 2019, uh, Mm. spring of 2019, I suppose, as people listen to this however many years from now. Um, I got to walk around there in 2008. And, of course, it had actually been mostly rebuilt at some point. You know, that's what a bunch of, like, know-it-alls said once it burned. They were like, well, you know, actually, this is not the fir- Okay, whatever. I understand. <laughs> I got to walk around in it before that happened. And and here's the thing. They're going to rebuild that, a 100 years from now it'll be different. And there are uh, simulations that will let you look at Notre Dame the way it was before it burned. And yet I'm glad I was there for that moment. Uh, Climbing a rock face, I mean, if it's not El Capitan, then why would I be climbing a mountain? If it's not El Capitan, (laughs) if it's not, you know, if it's not a particular canyon or a particularly difficult... Like, I don't think scaling Everest in the Suite would be the same as scaling Everest in real life. Physically, the activity might be the same, but you haven't climbed Mount Everest at that point. But anti-grab sailing or whatever it was they were doing, that's just a thing you do. I mean, maybe... Mm -hmm. The one thing I'm thinking about is in uh, in Star Trek First Contact, when Picard is, is excited to put his hand on the Phoenix, mm-hmm. uh, because that is the ship that is going to take man uh, past warp for the first time, which is, of course, what attracts the attention of the Vulcans. Data doesn't get, you know, touching it doesn't make it any more real or less real to him, but it very much does to Picard maybe it's the activity thing that Dax would be into or maybe she'd be like wow eiffel tower is awesome and then step out and go back to her you know place in ops
0: yeah i mean I, I, it might honestly just sort of be on a case-by-case thing and it, it, it might be the feeling that that person needs to get from that experience it, it, it might be as you say well um i If I want to experience the Eiffel Tower, I need to go to Earth. I need to go to France. I need to go to Paris. I need to go to the actual Eiffel Tower. And that, to me, will tell me that I've experienced the Eiffel Tower. But um, you mentioned Everest. And I'm like, you know what? A, a, uh, A perfectly recreated holodeck experience of climbing Mount Everest is probably about all that I want. Because, honestly, that might be better than climbing Mount Everest. It might be you know the 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 story now for Mount Everest is that look it's full of tourists and trash and and it's just kind of an awful experience for a lot of people um but if you want the experience of having this strenuous, difficult climb, actually doing the thing and uh, and going up to the top and seeing the vista from there, maybe feeling some sense of accomplishment from that, from the outing, not necessarily the place, then, then maybe that's fine. But again, this might just be a very subjective, individual, personal thing. And, and I'm glad that this episode opened with that conversation about it, because this is an episode that plays with the perce- perception of experience versus reality, and very typically and that 's why I wanted to bring up the thing about um, uh, what they might have done with the Kira character mm-hmm. and and leaving that ambiguity there because it introduces the this theme of well. If the experiences are there, and and the experience of being Kira has been that person for twenty years, or however long it's been since that that operation took place, since that operative was put into place, she's still Kira. The experience, the experiences add up to her being Kira, not just the simple matter of the biology of uh, of how she was born. So. Um, yeah I I don't think there's any one single answer to say you know one experience is more valuable than the other because of how it was uh, uh because how it was experienced the perception is really what's important here the perception what is going on for that individual is really what matters here
2: and well case by case <laughs> I think I yeah I don't think you're wrong about that I mean there's and I feel like this is something that we've talked about before i can't put my finger on exactly which episode of star trek that would have been but or maybe it's too many of them i'm not sure but mm-hmm. but yeah I, I think uh we reach yeah
0: well so speaking of previous star trek though and and kind of going a little different uh tact with this i really thought of two other uh previous star trek stories uh duet mm-hmm. uh although this one has a happier ending. than than Duet. But there's a similar arc here uh, for Kira because Kira is so ready to be antagonistic and discount the experiences of those Cardassians around her. I mean, look, for good reason here. She has been kidnapped. She has been altered. Um, But the the arc is similar that she finds some sympathy at the end of that episode. But of course, the, the ending of Duet was far more tragic. And I also thought about Chain of Command. And mostly part two. And of course, Picard being tortured by a Cardassian, uh, uh, played by the great David Warner, and uh, in, an, in an attempt to sort of break his psychology. Now, that wasn't the attempt in this episode. We weren't necessarily trying to break Kira. Uh, That might have just been a a happy side effect (laughs) as far as uh, EdTech was concerned. Um, But I definitely thought about those two as being building blocks for for where we end up uh, with this episode. And one of the things that I appreciate here is that there's so much more depth added here to the overall Cardassian story. So, we met a few dissidents in Profit and Loss, and we saw Garrick's background revealed bit by bit, particularly in that episode. Because remember, Garrick was heroic in Profit and Loss, he killed the Cardassian who was about to kill those dissidents. Garrick is one who stepped up and in so many words, like he did in this one, treasons in the eye of the beholder, didn't quite put it that way in profit and loss, but it was the same sentiment that, uh, that got him to the same place at the end of that episode. So um, I I don't have a particular point about that as far as the morals, meanings, messages, the, the exploration of this episode. Uh, But I I think it's one of the, the key things here is that, DS9 in a couple of seasons plus has taken the time to grow the depth of their, their enemy here, the Cardassians being the, the big bad from the first couple of seasons. I know we haven't gotten deeply into the Dominion story yet, and we will, um, but they they've gone to an effort to kind of grow the complexity of these characters in a way that I feel like prior Star Trek. I mean, maybe possibly with the Klingons, because we got so much with Worf in uh, TNG, for better or for worse. Uh, that could reveal some of the the problems, some of the weaknesses, some of the inconsistencies with uh, with the Klingon structure. Uh, but I, I feel like this has done such an amazing job with the Cardassians that I'm uh, I'm really drawn into the story more here. Now I, I feel like. I feel like you might have uh, uh, a more nuanced or a different take on where we're going with the Cardassians here.
2: Uh, No. (laughs) Maybe. I mean, here's the thing. I will... uh, It's interesting what you say about this, actually adding more to the Cardassian backstory. It feels to me sort of uh, like, like a lot of the same with Cardassian backstory. The one that I thought was most revealing, and I can't remember the name of it, but it was the one where uh, they kidnapped O'Brien and put him on trial. Oh, sure. And, to, and to please yeah. tell me it's something stupid like the trial or something. Sure. Like uh, we'll,
0: we'll go with that. But yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I mean,
2: <laughs> that was really illustrative of, of a lot more of Cardassian society to me than this episode was, honestly. Yeah. Um, there's a thing that we keep approaching with the Cardassians, but I don't think we ever get there. Are there good guys on the bad guy side? Um, Duet, as you mentioned, featured a Cardassian who had, you know, repented and was actually destroying himself because he felt so bad about what had happened around him. Uh, Second Skin features a Cardassian dissident. Um, Humanity is is the wrong word because we're dealing in both cases with a Cardassian and a Bajoran. But, I mean, they explore the humanity, the sympathy, the Mm -hmm. empathy, uh, but only when the Cardassians are good. Do you know what I mean? I mean, like, and I don't know, I don't, it's such a difficult thing, right? And I don't, I don't want to call out any particular uh, nationality, except for maybe our own. Mm-hmm. Like, are, are there good Americans, We've done, as a country, a lot of really bad things. See also Russia. See also Germany. See also Japan. I mean, there are lots of countries around the world that have done some really terrible things. And would you say that everybody there is terrible? And yet, when we explore anything with the Cardassians, we better find a good one, right? We better find one who, has, who, is self, who who hates the society from which they come to see some of the humanity, and and I don't know I don't know how you explore that because I don't want to do the oh, but you see, he's a good Nazi, right? Because well, that doesn't exist. I mean and I think the difference there is that's somebody who has chosen an ideology as opposed to somebody who just happened to be born on a different side of a border in a way. But if we're gonna explore the humanity of a Cardassian you mentioned the ones uh, um earlier in the other episode that i can 't remember the name of, even though we just talked about it the one with the Cardassian dissident, the one who was uh, quark 's girlfriend profit and loss profit and yeah. loss thank you very yeah. much i mean everybody everybody that we see any humanity in the Cardassians um has to have turned away from being a Cardassian and, well, and that's, so- it's a weird it 's weird to me that. We can approach their humanity. I'm going to use that term. We can approach their humanity, but only if they've rejected, um, you know, uh, where they were born.
0: Well, uh, two things. First of all, the other episode you were looking for was tribunal.
2: Okay, thank you.
0: Uh, you're welcome. No, no letters uh, to to uh, me or Ken on that. <laughs> um, but uh, the the other thing is, is that I, I I don't think that what you're describing is. I, I don't think it's uh, a hundred a percent buy in from, from DS nine that it, that it only goes in that direction. So look at uh, look at chain of command. Mm-hmm. So e- even David Warner, who was uh, uh, torturing Patrick Stewart's uh, Picard, um, we get a glimpse of him being a whole person by talking about his daughter and his life and, uh, and Cardassia and, and that, even in this terrible position that he's in, he's still a person. He, he still has a life outside of just the, the horror and torture that he is implementing here. Now, to their credit, though, what we've seen is that uh, the Cardassians the that we've dealt with primarily have just been on this military level. And from what we know of Cardassia, the majority of it is this military-run, this you know, uh, uh, very oppressive state government. So you you mentioned we go by historic example. You go with Nazi Germany. Yes, there were plenty of Germans who were not in the Nazi Party, but the concern at the time was. The Nazis who were uh, uh, acting on behalf of the government, who were implementing a a pogrom of, of torture and horror throughout Europe. So. I I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that we are introduced to dissidents, because I think what we're showing is we're showing cracks in this overall system. We're showing that that this can be a terrible, oppressive, horrible system that is the opposite of how we would want to live and the values not only of us, but of Starfleet and the Federation, etc. But we're showing every single time we have these people, we're showing the system is what is screwed up. The system is what is maintaining all of this power through, uh, through terrible means most of the time, but the individuals within that aren't necessarily all buying it. And maybe what it's going to take is the right person or the right instance or, or the right reveal to help reduce this, to, to, to help get them in a better direction. So I'm, I, I welcome the idea that there are dissidents, and man, we almost had some of those dissidents get killed, but mm-hmm. fortunately I had a guy like Garrick step up, who is as deep inside as anybody is inside, to say, let's, let, let's encourage this. Let, let's let these guys get away so they can do what is actually right. <laughs>
1: With Kira back on Deep Space Nine. And a relatively low body count to make that happen. It is time to see what we can take from Second Skin.
2: Second Skin, John. The episode is called Second Skin. This is the part... um where we talk about uh, the messages, morals, the ideas, the ideals, uh, whether the episode holds up. We also sometimes talk about the, uh, sometimes talk about the, uh, the title. I-, I can't imagine what second skin could possibly refer to in this episode.
0: <laughs> uh, well, well, let's see. You've got uh, uh, Kira literally getting a second skin. And man, I oh. said, it before, said it before in TNG, I'll say it again. Uh, cosmetic surgery in the 24th century is amazing
2: yes it is yeah. it is uh and and although i will say props to the obsidian order for looking at a cardassian looking at a bajoran and go man they look alike don't they no seriously <laughs> put ridges in the thing and take that right. thing off and then like be, like press your thumb right in the middle of her head and that, mm-hmm. yeah yeah so that's so that's the uh that's the title so we go on now to the other parts like um whether this episode holds up as far as you're concerned
0: I, you know, I'll just say right away, I I can't even begin to tell you how many ways I love this episode. Um, Even if you're not familiar with the ideas of Philip K. Dick's fiction, that's okay. That's fine. This is a riff on those types of ideas that deal with identity and memory and what is real, quote unquote, versus what is artificial. Um, I love all that kind of stuff anyway. And if we had just spent the last hour talking about the reality of the holodeck (laughs) versus the reality of uh, naturally occurring experiences, that would be fine, too. Um, But in this case... They've crafted this story that deeply impacts at least some of our characters here. And it's really thrilling to watch. I, I like the, the kind of uh, spy espionage. Um, you know, we, we've been talking about how the Cardassians in many ways parallel uh, historically awful regimes. And certainly there are influences of uh, the Nazi party on what we see in the Cardassians. They they kind of hit those notes whenever we get uh, an intense Cardassian story here. So all of those things, I think, added up to uh, a really exciting episode and some great performances in it, too. I feel like it's redundant to say that there are great performances in DS9, but pretty much you can have an episode that maybe you or I am not thrilled with and you can still point to it and go, oh, but oh, but that character was so good. (laughs) You know, that actor was so good. Um, I know that uh, Kira, and because it's Kira, and now a visitor, uh, for the first couple of seasons, took some criticism for being too intense. Uh, But I feel like that that serves what happens with the character. It it, it serves uh, not just sort of the deep wounds in the character's background. But when a character like hers is tortured uh, uh, in an episode like this one, then I feel like it makes the, the moments of growth that much more poignant. So look, I could go on and on. I, I, there's so much that I loved about this one. I want to hear what you thought, Ken.
2: Everything that you just said is is spot on as far as I'm concerned. It's It's well-written. It's well-acted. Uh, the guest stars it, it's it 's funny to me because you get some weird people playing Cardassians, but i mean like paul dooley mm. right mm-hmm. uh and then the guy who played uh who played the uh, Leggett in this episode as well i mean he is a he is a, a character that i or an actor excuse me that i recognize uh, through his makeup yeah um which is kind of uh it's, yeah, it's it's yeah it's it's pretty well done i I kind of wish we had spent all of our time on Cardassia, honestly, because I, I don't know. It's interesting. You you said something like we keep getting layer upon layer of the Garrick thing, and I'm just kind of tired of it. Hmm. And and I know it's probably going to be for like all seven seasons or yeah. whatever. But the whole like, oh, is he? Isn't he? Should we trust him? Should we not trust him? Whatever. I mean, OK, so now we know he can literally order Cardassian uh, military away. Right. Yeah. So it's time to stop being coy. <laughs> it right. seems to me, but I guess we're gonna you know keep doing that anyway. Um, it would have been interesting to see, you know, like sort of her standoff with the legate and with the inquisitor um, a bit more. They that happens a little bit quickly to me because we're too busy doing the whole, you know, swashbuckling part on the other side. Yeah. I would I would have been fine just telling me the B plot later about, you know, how they did it and what they did and all that stuff. Um because uh, the real meat of everything that happens happens on Cardassia, mm-hmm. I think. But that's yeah. not a complaint because the rest of the episode, I mean, it, honestly, the episode is, is so well done that even those short hops uh, back onto the deep space nine side and on their way to Cardassia. I mean, they're 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 forgettable. And I don't mean that, like, in a disparaging way. I mean, they do not detract uh, from the good stuff that was going on uh, with the legate, the Inquisitor, and the Major, uh, which is a Le Cari novel, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about messages, sir? Does anything uh, anything jump out at you on that side?
0: Yeah, well, it, you know, I, I wanted to bring up the, the elements that they dropped from this story, uh, mm-hmm. because It it falls short of really being a statement piece about identity. But that's okay, because the the theatrics, uh, I feel like, of what happened to Kira... They're not there for a message, at least in this version of the script as as filmed and edited and presented. And and the questioning of reality, I feel like isn't a message, but these are fun existential uh, questions to ponder as we got to do in this episode to talk about, you know, who who are you really? And and if you experience something, whether real or artificial, did you experience that thing? Well, the experience is real, even if the the cause of that experience maybe was manufactured. But I have to say, again, you know, the very last scene hit me right in the feels. Kira, again, learns something about her so-called enemy. Mm -hmm. And this is the long, slow process of seeing the other as being one of you and yeah her her other is not bajoran but her other is a person her other is somebody who who has a history and has loved ones and maybe doesn't feel right about what he's been a part of but has been trying every way that he can to make that right um you you know go back to classic trek stories uh we 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 talk about um devil in the dark, uh, stories where it's, you know, in that case, a, a monster that we can't talk to, but it's up to us to figure out that the monster is not the monster. The monster is just motivated by something different. So we have to figure out how to sort of rewrap our reality to accept that. Uh, so the, the ending, that last scene, ah, I just thought it was so powerful and, uh, and a very Star Trek message. Did I miss anything?
2: well we both missed something actually and i'm wondering what this says i mean maybe it says about how unimportant it was in the episode or maybe it's just how different uh the commander is than any captain we've seen to this point he blackmailed a guy into helping them Mm. i'm wondering if we should have talked about that (laughs) i'm wondering (laughs) if that should have affected us because i think that if if kirk or Picard had done that, and I feel certain they probably each did at one time or another. And I feel yeah. certain that it was actually a topic of conversation uh, if they did. But now it's just like, oh, you know, that's Cisco. And that's just that's just something that's going to happen in this show. Is he's going to he's going to twist Quark's arm? He actually did that in the very first episode, and he's yeah. he's continuing to do it through. And uh, maybe. Maybe we should pay a little bit more attention to the fact that that happens, or are we just going to now say, "Well, that's Cisco"?
0: Are, are we saying, "Ah, uh, it's Cisco," but also uh, it's Garrick, and and Garrick has inserted himself into these sort of <laughs> these weird plots. I mean, really, he he's he is the first one to go to bashir and he'll always go to bashir right. to say here's what you need to know here's what's happening oh but i'm but i'm stepping out of it well no i'm sorry as soon as you spilled the beans you are now part of it mm-hmm. you're you in it so i uh i i see what you're saying i don't disagree with you i think we should look at the ethics of what cisco is doing i think in the garrick case garrick is Throwing himself in there.
2: Right. Well, I mean, he does to an extent. He gives them the information they need to you know, know something. I mean, honestly, the same thing has happened to Quark before. He's like, oh, so I was going to tell you this thing, but I don't want any part of it. And then Cisco's like, well, you're part of it. Yeah. <laughs> Whether you want to be or not. Unless you want your bar closed and your kid you know, tossed out an airlock. Not your kid, your nephew, but you get the idea. Yeah, I mean, no. listen, I, I need what I need now. And so you're going to give that to me because I have power over you, which I mean, again, I mean, that's not that's not even the point of this episode. I'm just thinking uh, other iterations of Star Trek. If we had seen that, we, th- that would have been what we talked about. <laughs> yeah. And this iteration of Star Trek is like ah, it's Cisco.
0: Uh, look, we, we've got nearly five seasons to go. I'm sure that uh, Cisco learned his lesson and he'll never do that again.
2: Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Hey, have you checked out all of the shows on the Roddenberry Podcast Network, like Mission Log? Well, I know you've checked out that one. Mission Log Live, Women at War, Priority One, The Trek Files, and Daily Star Trek News. It's Star Trek News. It's daily. It's right there in the title. Podcast.roddenberry.com to check out all of those. If you'd like to help support Mission Log directly, that'd be fantastic patreon.com slash mission log is the place to do that for more exciting star trek podcasts check out trek fm at trek.fm and for the latest in star trek news and discussion be sure to visit trekmovie.com
0: on the next mission log the abandoned
1: Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp11, online at warp11.com, and from the album messages by Key Theory, free to download at k.i.theory.com. It was nice of the Leggett to give Kira the jewelry. Would it have killed her to give him an earring? Transmission
0: Podcast. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.